G'day and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM. G'day, my name is Lloyd Grolleman, I'm the Aussie Pastor, welcome to the program. Today it's raining here in northwest Sydney, it's been raining really since Saturday Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, and so we're a bit sozzled, hunty. Yep, it's definitely raining, but it's great to be here with you guys this afternoon. Glad to have you on board, Always mate. good to be here. Yeah, things going well for you this week? Yes, had a good week already. <laughs> okay, a busy week, that's for sure. Busy but good. Yeah. Yep. Hey, um, we've got the Aussie Pastor on again today. We always kind of start our show off saying this because we want to give you an opportunity to join us. There's still room for some questions, ask the Aussie Pastor, is that right? Yes, we love your questions. Let me tell you how you can send them to us. You can text them to us on 0488880851 or you can email them to us, info at aussiepastor.com. And we would love to have your questions because we would love to see you stump the Aussie Pastor. Actually, there's room to do some questions today, isn't there? We've got a pretty jam-packed program today. <laughs> We've got plenty of room. Send them in. Send them in. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> we would. <laughs> Hunty's worried about us. Having, he's warning me, make sure you're fast here, you're fast there. So I might just slow the whole program I'm saying, down. No mucking around today, it's a big program. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad you're here and I hope uh, you're blessed. And more than anything, I hope and pray that you just get a little glimpse of the beauty and the wonder of Jesus. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Been a lot of news. It seems that every week's a big news week. Yep. And really, you know, try as we really want to, it's almost impossible to escape COVID because right now in Europe, the northern winter COVID is making a massive comeback. Yes. In fact, there are countries in real trouble, and I think of Austria and Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, Belgium. Um, these nations, they're in big trouble, aren't they? Yes, very big. You're talking Germany yesterday, 40,000, 50,000 people came down with COVID. Um, the German hospitals are chock-a-block full. Yes. And I don't know whether you notice what happened in Austria, but the Austrians have, for whatever reason, decided to make it mandatory for every Austrian to have a jab. Now, here's the interesting thing. If they do not have that jab, both jabs, by February the 1st, you know what's going to happen to them? What's that? You're going to cop a really big fine. And the reason I think this is interesting is because in our lifetime, and it's happened many times before, but not much in the democratic West, I think this is the first time I've really seen on an important issue a government legislate for the majority against the minority. Well, I mean, look at Germany. There's... 88 million people, but 25-plus million Germans are not vaccinated. They are flooding the hospitals. They are arriving at the hospitals with COVID and saying to the frontline medical workers, can I get the jab now, please? Look, not all are. I, I, I was reading this morning there's still quite a lot of people turning up who still don't believe in the jab. But my point is, for the first time, it's not to talk about the vaccines and whether you should have the vaccine or not. That's pretty much a personal decision even over there. What I'm talking about for the first time is you have the government legislating something for the majority against the minority. Well, that, that's surely got to be because the minority can't do all, the majority can't do the heavy lifting for everybody. But there are prophetic implications to that. Right. Huge implications. 
because Christians are a minority. And, and, and Matthew 24, I was reading it last night, Jesus is very clear at the end of time that minority, the Christian minority, will suffer persecution. Now, I'm not equating um, the unvaccinated with this Christian minority, but what I am looking at is the fact that for the first time I'm seeing Western governments put in place legislation. Now, this time it's for health, but next time it could be for something else, and I think it's really dangerous. I actually think it's really dangerous. Um, and I think there are prophetic, genuine prophetic implications for where the world is going today. you got a funny look on your face. You don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I, I hear you. How, 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 can you. how can you force someone to take a vaccine? They don't want that in their body. Well, You can't do it. When the country's going financially broke and the hospital, hotels, pubs, clubs, cinemas, they can't open. You still can't do it. You can't force someone to put something into their body that they don't want to. Well, how about the frontline medical workers who are begging for time off, begging not to be putting their families there's, at risk? There's, look, we're in a pandemic and there's all that, and you know me, I'm pro-vaccine. And nurses I've, are I've, literally begging people but, but to get vaccinated. But how can you force someone to put something in their body that they don't want to put in, no matter what the complication is? You can't do that. You can't well, do that in a Western democracy. But what happens in the hospitals and ICUs are full and flooded. Then what happens? People start dying in the car park. Well, they have been. They are. They have been. There's places in America where they're dying in the car They're park. saying just this last week that over 25 million people or more now are dead of the vaccine. Is Not that, of the vaccine, sorry, of the, of the virus. <laughs> of the COVID, I'm going to get yeah. myself into trouble. Isn't there reason enough, though, to say, look, we have to act as a herd here. We have to get immunised. So I think you and me are going to have to disagree on this. Oh, here we go. We're <laughs> off. I, I just can't see if it's my body. Now, I am vaccinated, double vaccinated. Sure, me too. And me I too. encourage people to it. But I just can't see, no matter what the ramifications are for society, how you can force somebody to be vaccinated. Now, look, you can say, look, if you're not going to get vaccinated, you're not going to work in a, you're not going to work in a hospital or, or a school or whatever. I get that. But to say, if you're living in Austria, which they're doing, you've got to be vaccinated. If you don't, you're going to be heavily fined. Man, I mean, anyone studying prophecy, Revelation 13, Daniel 7, Matthew 24, Luke 21, you're going to see implications there for what could happen in the future. Mm, absolutely. But I still, have to, I still have to go back to the point that when no businesses can be open because they're worried about people dying in the car park because the hospitals are full, they have to make drastic decisions. Either the unvaxxed stay home or stay away from society until this blows over or they're vaccinated. No, everybody. that's not what they're saying. They're saying you have to be vaccinated. That's because you can't keep people away from society. They've got to go get food. They've got to get medical help. They've got to get fuel. Well, we might have to agree to disagree. Because oh, oh, 3.40 and we're away. It's, it's, too much, it's too much for me. It's too much for me. For, for the government to come down and say, you must do this to your body, to me that's, that's just way too far a step. Yeah. Uh, and remember, I support vaccination. This is a first for us. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Uh, so when you're voting for Prime Minister and you want a bit of freedom, yep, don't vote Hunty. For PM. <laughs> don't vote Hunty. You'll be in trouble. Um, but it's very troubling. It is. And it's very troubling it's for the people. It's, it's very troubling for the people in Austria who, yes. who sincerely believe that they don't want this stuff in their body. Very, very troubling times. And we're living in a, in a very troubling, divisive world. There's yes. no doubt about it. And the, the one thing I would say as we end this, uh, part of the news section is, hey, um, Wherever you are on this, be kind. Be kind. Be Always. gentle. Yes. Love your neighbour. Yep. Uh, the world is right now in times of division crying out for, for gentleness and only, I think, Christians truly can show it. Housing affordability. 
here in Sydney. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's not just in Sydney. I, I put something up on Facebook, I think it was this morning or yesterday, talking about the insane prices in Sydney. And I had people from the United States, New Zealand, the UK, <laughs> and from other places in Australia that reckon that housing affordability is pretty much insane wherever you look. And, and I went yesterday, Hunty. Yep. And I looked at a little three bedroom because I'm in the I'm in the market for a house, but I'm I'm deciding I'm not. Right. I went and looked at a little three bedroom house with a tiny little flat out the back of it. It was a run down thing. Seventy years old. Oh yeah, easy. Yep. And, and next to it was a was a condemned house. Yes. So you're not exactly <laughs> looking at the best suburb in Sydney. Not, not Millionaires Row. No, no, not by this would be one of the poorest suburbs in Sydney. You know what they wanted for that house? Oh, I can't guess. Half a million? A million dollars. Oh, so this millionaire's row. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's, I, 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 when I was told that, my, my mouth dropped open and I had a chance to talk to a couple of real estates and I've said, well, how are young people getting into the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. into this market? And he said, well, actually, they're taking huge mortgages of eight, 900,000. I mean, down the road from the house I rent, you've seen it because we've, we've marvelled at this. Yep. There's a three-bedroom house on a 250-square-metre block. <laughs> went for over a million dollars. It's a new house, but it went for over a million dollars. And, and the real estate agent said they're, they're taking loans of over uh, over a million dollars and banking that the house is going to keep going up and in five or six years they can make a roaring profit, but it might not happen. Well, in the last 12 months, houses in Sydney have gone up 25%. In Australia today, 30% of all Australians were born overseas. We currently have 7.5 million immigrants in Australia. It's a wonderful thing, too. And we're, right? we're happily bringing in the wealthy from China and from other countries, but when they get here, the first thing they do is buy property. Which is a good thing. Well, good. no, we've got a huge property shortage. That's what's driving the price it's up. still a good thing, mate. It, 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 it's good for the economy. Very good. And we, we welcome our immigrants. We love them. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that we've got a massive housing crisis. And a shortage. And it's caused by the 30% that are well, born can, overseas. Can, and it's can, caused... Sorry. You, you can buy a house. There's no shortage out there. When I went around uh, last night with my wife, we probably looked in our area at 12, 15 houses for sale. They're there. We're the, most, we're the second highest housing price on earth next to Hong Kong. Well, it doesn't matter. And Hong Kong is only a tiny little We've still landlocked. Got, there's still plenty of houses for sale. That's my point. If you want to buy a house, you can buy it. You've just got to pay a, a, an exorbitant amount for it. And another problem is interest rates. And the interest rates are favouring the wealthy and the established people. Well, I think the interest rates at the moment favour everyone, actually. Uh, when they're low, uh, you know what? They favour everybody except the retired people who've got money on superannuation on some sort of fixed rate term trying to get a bit of interest to survive. Oh, I feel so sorry for people but if you're buying a house, got, who retired with money in the bank. We were talking about it the mm. other day. If you're mm. buying a house, there's never a better time to, to buy a house than, than right now, is there? Other than the cost. Other than the cost. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true. The terrible cost. <laughs> but, I, but I'll tell you what, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, and I feel really sorry for young people. And I feel sorry for our, our immigrants. Uh, these precious people who come in from overseas who've got to try and buy a home and survive in Sydney. Mm. And even when you go out, it, it's really it's tough. quite difficult. Yes. Good news story. Oh, yes. Actually, We've I don't know whether this story. is a good news story. Story or not. It's good and bad. Yeah. Um, in Haiti, which is an island off the United States, 17 Christian missionaries were kidnapped mm. last month. Mm. Here's the good news part. Yes. Two have been released. 
Haiti is the kidnap capital of the planet. Have you been to Haiti? No. No, to me. You've never been there? Never. Have you been to the Dominican Republic next door to Haiti? No. You've been over that way because you went with John Carter to Jamaica. And I've been across to, yeah, parts near there. Because I know Jamaica's not far from Haiti. Mm. Um, mm. But um, two of those missionaries, praise God, were returned, but the other 15 have not been returned. So this is a bad news part mm. of the story. Mm. And um, they're asking a million dollars reward. A million dollars a head. Is it a million dollars a head? Yeah, it is. It's per head. So yeah. that's $15 million. And there's some kids in there as well. So, yeah, yeah, wow. Terrible. Awful. Mm. So that was a good news story and it was a, a bad news story, but that was the closest I could get to a good, good news, news story. story. And yeah. you know what? When you see all these things going on at the moment, when you, when, you, when you see our freedoms being restricted like never before, when you see housing becoming unaffordable for ordinary people, and when you see kidnapping of people who are just sharing Christ and nothing else, it tells you that the world is not going real well. And hopefully soon we'll see Jesus come because when we do, all these bad things are going to stop and we will live with him forever where there's no more pain, hurt or death. Amen. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. I never heard this song, Hunty, of you. I stand in awe by Parachute Band. Never yep. heard it. Yep, love it. You heard it? I have. You know, this, it's, a, it's actually a beautiful, soft song, isn't it? Love it. I stand in awe, it's talking about God, and I think you're going to enjoy it.
know, Hunty. Yeah. I was thinking, just before we get to uh, Harold Harker, who's waiting online here in this interview, and it's a great story today, I was thinking about, you know, the houses and how expensive they are and how so many people are never going to be able to buy a house in Australia unless something massively changes. How beautiful is when Jesus says, um, in my Father's house mm. are many mansions. Yep. And he said, I go to prepare a place, place for you. And if, if I, I go, go to prayer, a place for you, I'll come again mm, and receive you to myself, that where I am, you there may you be, may also. be also. I love that text. So if you love Jesus... And streets of gold. Yeah. Look, and, and the river of life that comes from the throne of God. Nice. So if you love Jesus, it doesn't really matter in the end whether you can get deep roots on this. In yeah. fact, it might be better not to get roots too deep on this earth, auntie. That's it. Because we're going to a place where you do and will have a house and it'll be beautiful and it's going to be given to you for free. Love it. Yeah, no mortgage. If you haven't had a mortgage, (laughs) you know how beautiful that is. Harold Harker. Hi there, Lloyd. How are you? I'm doing fine today. Yeah, good to have you on board. Good to be back with you. In fact, you should be going fine because you're about to go on holidays, correct? Well, it's a holiday, but it's a working holiday on Lord Howe Island. We're leaving tomorrow. But we're caring for the church for 11 days there. Lord, how for 11 days? That sounds a bit unfair, Hunty. very tough. <laughs> <laughs> is the weather good over there at the moment or is it raining like here? Well, what we've got here might be moving that way. Who knows? Yeah, that's right. Well, look, we wish you a good time and we'll miss this little segment. But we've got one more with you today. And I thank yeah. God for that because this story is a beauty. Amazing story. Amazing story about amazing grace. That's right. <laughs> John Newton. Well, tell us about him. When and where was John Newton born? Well, he was in the 18th century. He was born 1725 in London. So he's an so Englishman. a while ago now. He's an Englishman. Um, yes. What sort of family was he born into? What sort of work did his parents do? I always like to ask you that question because it gives us a sense of what sort of background these people who grew up to make such a difference for Christ had. Well, his dad was the sea captain, so I guess he was away from home a fair bit. Yeah, okay. And his mum? Well, his mother would have looked after him. He was an only child, and she had roots in the Puritan heritage there who lived Christianity as Jesus did. So he was he, he was kind of with her, at least initially, brought up in a... Because the father's away on the ship, he's brought up in a really religious family. Well, his mother taught him to read the scriptures and to memorise uh, the hymns and parts of the Bible, so he was taught well. Was his mother a, a, a big influence on him? Do you think this put down roots for later on in life? Or Yes, it came back later. He turned back to God, and it was because his mother had trained him that way. What happened to his mum? Well, I don't know what happened to her. She died when he was just seven. So we don't know how she died, but she died. She just died, yes. Okay. Um, so was he a church attender? Yes. His mother took him to the Congregational Independent Church, and that's where he sort of kept going to. Okay. So he's, he's brought up by a good mother. He goes to church. His father is a captain on a, on a boat far away. Um, his mother dies. What did his father then do with him from ages 11 to 17, and did it have an impact on him? Well, it sure did. His dad then said, well, your mum's gone. You better come with me. So he took him with him on five different sea voyages where he learnt the trade of caring of seamanship. 
So he was a he became a sailor. That's right. Now that is that would have been rough. That would have been rough, I imagine. Oh, it wouldn't have been simple. Even if his father is the captain, he would have experienced life because those guys, those sailors back then, they were a rough lot of men, and they went through very difficult, hard times. And he—that's what he would have learned on the ships. Yeah. So he's brought up a really good Christian. He gets onto these ships. Did he maintain his faith? Was he a, a follower of Jesus in his youth? No, his stepmother, his father must have married again, but she let him do what he wanted and he often got into trouble. So he started to go down the wrong way in life at that when he was a young guy. Okay, so he's been on these ships. He comes back home. He's leading a fairly errant life because there's no discipline. Um, when he was 17, what did his father decide? Well, his dad says, you've got to have something to do in life, young man. And so he arranged for him to be a slave overseer, in other words, to look after a whole lot of slaves over in Jamaica. So he would have been still pretty young at this age. He was 17. Wow. Imagine looking after slaves and you're just 17. So tell us what happened. Well, it's an affair of the heart, Lloyd. You're not going to tell me he fell in love. He fell in love. <laughs> he met a young lady called Mary Catlett. She came from Kent, and he was head over and heels in love. And he missed his ship going to Jamaica. Which is big trouble, isn't it? Oh. Well, <laughs> his dad's got to find something else for him now. He's lost his great job and everything else. His dad was furious, is that right? That's right. So he signs him on as a common sailor for a month's voyage overseas. <laughs> so he wasn't really, he falls in love with this girl, I think her name was Mary, uh, and, and it seems it was pretty much real love. Is, is that a fair yes, comment? Yes, it was. Because it lasted a lifetime, more or less. It did. Well, it, it took about eight years before he married her, but he did come back and he married her. So he, he, he takes off on this ship, again, it's just reinforcing bad behaviour and the rebellion that was already alive and well inside of him. Would that be a fair comment? That's fair enough, yeah. Okay, so how did he become a Christian or, 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 or what job did he take after becoming a Christian? Because somewhere in the, in the midst, of, well, how does he become a Christian? Tell us that first. Well, he, was, he finally grew up from his seamanship and became a captain like his father, and so he captained slave ships. And uh, Where were those became, slave ships coming from, do we know? From Africa over to the West Indies. Like, and these are, these would have been ships full of hundreds of, of black slaves, is that correct? That's right. So he would have Down seen... Down in the hold. He, he would have seen human misery at its worst. Oh, yes. And he was a captain of this ship doing this to these people and yet brought up in a Puritan home. There must have been something going on in his heart, in his heart as he looked at what, what he was doing, what he was involved in. Well, he thought of his mother's God and he, he uh, then started to pray for these slaves that were on his ship. Now, another ship captain who was named Alexander Clooney, he encouraged him in the Christian way. And so that started him on his way to become a real Christian. So while he's a slave ship captain, God comes and visits him and calls him to follow him again. A slave trader becomes a Christian. Can you imagine that? Did he continue in the slave trade? No, he, he left carrying slaves and he left the sea and he became a tide surveyor in Liverpool for the ships, looking after the 
tides and the boats coming in there, and uh, he even became a friend of the great English preacher, George Whitfield, and he began to emulate his friend in preaching. Okay, so, so he gets off the ships, he does get married, you, you mentioned that before to yes. his sweetheart. Was that a good marriage, by the way? Yes, it was. He married Mary in 1750, so he would have been 25 Yep, when yep. he got married. Which back then would have been a fairly advanced age for marriage, wouldn't it? That's right. Yep. Um, and, and so he, he goes and works on the tides. He's a Christian. Um, he forsakes the sea and he becomes a preacher. Have I got that right? He becomes a preacher and he tries to become ordained as a minister of the Church of the Church of England, the Anglican Church. How did that go? Well, it took seven years and he didn't get it. But finally, a friend said, I'll help you. And he managed to get a curate's job which is like the assistant pastor yep. at Olney in Buckinghamshire. Now, his friend was George Whitfield, who I think you could, we, we perhaps could look at him one day. That's Aaron. right. He's one of the most powerful preachers, perhaps Protestantism in the world has ever seen. Sure was. Was this guy, Newton, was he a good preacher himself? Yes, he was. In fact, listen to what he said. He said, I don't know who is the second best preacher, but I know who's the best, George Whitfield. Okay, well, <laughs> George Whitfield, of course, would be a tremendous uh, example for uh, John Newton. Um, was he a good preacher? Was he a good pastor? Was he a good minister, John Newton? Yes, he was, and uh, he loved his people, and he began to be very involved with their lives over in Olney. I've been to his place there where he's buried, but he cared for the church there, and while he's there... He starts to write some hymns. So he had music in his veins. That's right. Was he writing the words for the hymns or the music and the words? Do we know that? He was a poet and hymn writer yep. with William Cooper, we called him, and he sort of helped him on this way. And Newton collects uh, Cooper's hymns and writes some himself and he puts out a book called Olney Hymns, which include all of these. Okay, now he wrote uh, probably, now I, maybe some would argue with me, but he wrote probably the most, John Newton wrote probably the most powerful, well-known hymn in all of history. What, what's that hymn? And it's on grace. We call it amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a, a wretch, that saved a wretch like me. Um, and he was the wretch and he was saved. I remember um, hearing a, a famous singer, I'm trying to remember his name, Wintley Phipps. Yeah. Have you seen him sing that song? Oh, it Fantastic. just touches your heart. He, he actually sang it at the inauguration of one of the presidents. I can't remember which president it was. Right. But anyway, um, he says, Wintley claims, and I think there might be some truth to it, that the, the, the tune of Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, I wish I could sing it, for our listeners, for those who don't know it, but I think most of you would, came from the hulls of the slave ships that he used to captain. Some truth to that? I don't know. I can't prove that, but he would have used his whole experience to write how God saved him and how he'll save anyone who'll trust him. Amazing grace. Now, he preached and he worked for God literally till the day he died. Some people say he literally died in the pulpit. Tell us a little yep. bit about his death and how it came about. Well, he finally died 21st of December 1807, so he would have been about 
Oh, 82 years old when he died, and that would have been very old in his time. And uh, he, he had failing uh, health and failing eyesight. So at the end, you know, no no cataracts being done in those days. No. no so uh, failing eyesight and bad health, and finally he dies when he's 82. You know, I've read a story about one of his friends was trying to encourage him because he'd gotten so old and he was so impaired with his eyesight. He couldn't walk. He was in a wheelchair up on the platform preaching and and he was saying, John, please stop preaching. Retire. It's time to stop. And John Newton said, as he said in his song, I am saved by grace and I will keep preaching this till the day I die. And he literally did keep preaching, kept preaching the message of grace until the day he died. I don't think you can get a better story from a slave trader and a sea captain who would have done what all sailors did in the ports in those days and becomes a preacher and puts up God's grace first and foremost in his preaching. Actually, with Whitfield and um, the Prime Minister of England at the time, John Newton was instrumental in getting rid of slavery from the British Empire. Yeah, he so, worked with William Wilberforce. Right. There's another guy we must talk about too. Yep. Young prime minister, full of fire, working with the old fire brand, um, yep. John Newton, and together with some others, they got rid of slavery, and, and, and it was gone. So in a sense, he he, you can't say he paid for his sins because I think only grace can do that. But he certainly did everything he could to rectify them, and he yep. stopped that evil trade, and we can thank God for that. Amen. Um, what is written on his gravestone and who wrote it? Because I reckon this is significant. Well, he finished up preaching in St Mary Woolnoth Church in London, but the church that he had out at Olney, that's where he's buried. And Newton actually wrote his own epitaph, and this is what he wrote. John Newton, Clark, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned and appointed to preach the faith he had long laboured to destroy. Beautiful. That's so beautiful. Wonderful words. What a testimony of faith. And so when you look at John Newton's life, what does that? What sort of lessons can we learn today from that amazing life? When he calls himself a libertine, he would have being the worst of the worst as a sailor, and if God can save someone like that and make him a preacher and talk about amazing grace, he can do it for anybody. That warms my heart, that truth. doesn't matter who you are, how far you've strayed from God. If you repent, he, can, he will use you, and you can do a marvellous work for him. Amen. Thank you, uh, Harold Harker. We wish you all the best over there on Lord Howe Island. Think about us over there in the sun. Well, and we'll preach on Amazing Grace. Yeah, you're going to preach on that while you're there, are you? <laughs> no, I've got two sermons over there, yes. Um, we'll see you in about two, three weeks' time. Sure, come, yeah, that's right. Sayonara, brother. Bye then. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Pretty appropriate that we play that beautiful song. Oh, yes, absolutely. Amazing Grace. Mm -hmm. And this is by Johnny Cash. Yep. And Johnny Cash himself was a guy who knew what it was to be saved by the grace of God. He, too, had lived a libertine. Is that how you say it? Libertarian. Libertarian. 
No, it doesn't routine. mean that. It means a wild life. Wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And he sings this beautiful song written by John Newton, which comes from Newton's heart. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We can identify with that song, Amazing Grace. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know a guy who's needed more grace in his life than me. <laughs> me. You know, people go, oh, you're a pastor. And what they don't realise, pastor or not, you're a human being, you fall, you fail, and man, you need grace, don't you? Absolutely. I think it's why I defend it so strongly is because mm. I need it myself so badly. Yep. And I realise, I really do realise, I'm not just saying it, that without an advocate, without an intercessor, none of us, doesn't matter who you are, have got a chance. And you know, old John Newton, in heaven, there's going to be slaves there that he's going to have to go up to. And there's going to be apologies and there's going to be tears. Wow. And I'll tell you what, only Jesus can do that. Yeah. And it is amazing grace. It's such a powerful song. And that that old man, once a young man, lived such a powerful life. And if you ever get the movie, I can't remember what it's called, of Wilberforce and John Newton and how they annihilated Slavery in the British Empire. It's worth watching. Mm. I might, I might Google it actually in the next break and come back and tell yep. you what it is. Good. Okay, what are we up to? Ask, Ask the Aussie pastor. Aussie pastor. Go it. for it, mate. Okay. So, first question from WA. Yep. If God knew that Eve and then Adam would be disobedient to God, you know, through Satan and the apple, yep. um, 
Why couldn't when Satan tried to take God's position, why not cast him and his evil angels onto another planet instead of Earth? And that the way he's been created immortal, then he could survive on another planet, and okay, Adam okay. and Eve wouldn't have to be tempted. Well, I, I, I can't prove this. Yep. There's pretty big evidence in the book of Job of other planets um, where God and the leaders of these planets meet in conference and Satan turns up representing the Earth. I reckon that probably Satan got a chance to visit all the other planets. Wow. And they all had a chance to make a decision. That's kind of the nature of God, isn't it? Choose freely oh who you will serve. Are you saying that we're the only planet that fell? I think so. Oh, dear. I know it's a disaster. But what a privilege, eh? Jesus becomes one of us. Yes. Comes down and dies. And not only does he become one of us, he, he incorporates us into his family so that when through grace, through John Newton's grace, we end up in the kingdom, we are part of the royal family of the entire universe. Nice. So he really has taken us, the rebels, and lifted us real high, and he's done it all the way through grace. So I, I think it's a good question from Western Australia. It is a good question. And I reckon that probably, and I can't prove it, but probably just when you look at the nature of, of God and of Christ, Satan had an opportunity to deceive anyone and everyone, and we're probably the only hmm. crew that followed him. Mm. Sorry Alrighty. about that. Next question. Yeah, this, is, this, is, <laughs> this next one's from a listener who's, who's a regular. Yep. Um, I hear you talking about churches being important, but can I just worship God by myself in privacy with my family? Uh, why do I have to go to church? Okay, so he's saying, I think church is important. No, he's saying, I am talk- I have been talking about church lately, haven't I? You have. And how important it is. And he's saying, well, why can't I just stay at home and worship? Why do I have to go to church? I like that. <laughs> That's a You like that question, do you? I like the question. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I was just thinking how nice it would be. <laughs> I'll be, Some looking, I'll be looking for you at church. Yeah, but you've got a church is pro, Sabbath is probably your hardest. My day. busiest day. Yeah, you and me together. True. I mean, we you get there first, and together we leave last. That's right. I was only joking. I love going to church, but I was oh, you, you, just you, making you, jokes. Hunty's at the end of a, of a long year. He did go on holidays for three weeks, so he should be refreshed. Oh, I went the whole five kilometres because I was in lockdown. <laughs> we it's the worst holiday I've ever taken in my we were, life. We were talking about that yesterday. I went stir-crazy in my own house. <laughs> it's the first time I've seen Hunty rushing back to work. In fact, yes. he, he was coming back to work the, uh, halfway through this holiday <laughs> trying to do stuff. Um, Look, it's a good question, Church. Look, I, I think I think there's three things, three disciplines that are really, really important. And I'm, I'm being convinced of this more and more as we get close to the coming of Jesus. That's your daily Bible study, Hunty, which yep. I know you do. Very important. That's your prayer life, which is very, so important. Very important, yeah. And that's not daily, that's constant. That's constant, We should always yep. be in touch with the Lord Jesus. He's yep. always by our side, always talking to him on and off, all day, yep. all night. Um, I was talking about how my wife these days often wakes up at three in the morning. So do I. I've always done that, hunty, haven't I? Complained to you about it. <laughs> yeah, I've learned when I wake sleep. up at yeah. three in the morning just to talk to the Lord. It brings me a lot of comfort. Nice. I kind of drift off to sleep talking to the Lord, That's which is nice. pretty good. So Bible study and prayer. And the other one I reckon is the gather. The Bible says in Hebrews, I think it's 13, 5 or 6 or somewhere, forsake not your gathering together, especially as the day of the Lord draws nigh. Yep. So it's Jesus that says gather together as a church, as, pe- as people, as followers and believers. Gather together. Why? Well, because we worship together. We fellowship with each other. We fellowship with Christ. We get healing. We're with people who understand the journey we're on. We get comfort. We get courage together. And it is a thrilling experience to worship Christ with other believers. Indeed. And so it's becoming very, very important. And if you stay at home and worship God, well, that's good. Yep. But once a week, 
Maybe twice a week if you can, because I like to encourage people. Our church does prayer meetings we do. on Wednesday. Wednesday I like night. to encourage yep. people to do that too. Yep. In fact, I like to encourage people. I reckon the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more opportunities we get to get together, we'll do it. Yep. So look, I am unashamedly, I push church, and it's not because I want people to be in my church or the Adventist church, it's because of the great blessing you get when you're with others and you're celebrating and you're worshipping God on the Sabbath. Mm. Beautiful. All right, this next question is a bit of a sermon. Um, he goes, what does Jesus mean uh, when in Matthew 5 and verse 28 he says, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. There's more. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Ooh. Ooh. Is it better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell? And if your hand, even your stronger hand, caused you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Okay, the first thing he's saying is it's be- if you look at a woman and lust after her in your heart, you committed adultery with her. Ouch. So what he's saying there is, I want your heart. Yep. He's, the Pharisees of Jesus, they were into outward actions. Right. So I'd never go around and sleep with a woman. Right. But they certainly look at them and lust after them. Would, they send, would they send a text like Tim, the cricketer? Um, look, that's a tragic case where the Australian captain gets himself into big trouble mm. uh, with, with what looks to be a good marriage and a... A beautiful wife. I'd rather not judge the Australian captain. He's a human being and he fell mm. and he fell in this area. But I think what Jesus is saying is give me your heart and, and, and then you will follow me from there and, and not just in outward actions. A friend of mine said to me, he said, you know, most men will struggle and he's right in life with lust. Yep. And, and he talked to me about how he overcome it. And now he's a married guy. He's one of the leaders in our church, actually. Yep. And he said, what I did, he said, I had a relation, I started a relationship with Jesus. We're into prayer. We're into Bible study. I asked for the Holy Spirit. And he says, as I'm driving along, this is where, this, he said, this is how I combated. He said, I'd see a woman walking along the side of the street looking real good. Now, now yep. he's married with kids. Yep. He said, I'd see her. He said, the problem wasn't that I saw her. Correct. He says, when I'd go back for a second look. There you go. So he said, through the power of Christ, I didn't, he said, I stopped going back for a second look. And he said, that was the beginning of my healing. And what's happening there is he's serving the Lord with his mind and his heart. Does that make sense? That's excellent. And, And when it's talking about gouging your eye out and cutting your hand off, Jesus is actually not advancing self mutilation. No, 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 no. He's just saying, sin is so destructive. He's using hyperbole here. Yep. It's so destructive that better you do anything to get rid of it than yep. continue yep. to do it. And so I think what Jesus is driving at there is a, for a heart relationship. Excellent. Well, this next question ties in with that. Um, what place do my good works have in my salvation? Uh, if, if you're counting on your good works to count for your salvation to help you to be saved, none. Correct. Zilch. Zilch. I agree. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have good works. Correct. Though, I hear some people saying that. You're saved by grace. John Newton, it's his it. song Amazing Grace, makes that very clear. And, and grace is simply asking Jesus to come into your life and you accept that he died for you, correct? Yeah, and you're saved. Yeah. Yep. He puts that robe of righteousness around you. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus, not you, and you're welcome into the kingdom. You're saved. Yep. That's probably the flag I run up my ministry pole more than anything else, flag pole more than anything else. Is Love it. We are saved by grace. However, when you're saved by grace, the Holy Spirit does come into your heart and yes. into your life, and yes. your life changes, and you do start to do good works and reflect Christ more. But that doesn't save you. Does that make sense, Hunt? It doesn't save you. Mm. It's just evidence it's the fruit that you are saved. 
Yep. Does that make sense? Beautiful. So it doesn't save you, it's just the fruit. It's fruit, yeah. There you go. All right. Uh, is the Holy Spirit a person or just the spirit or force of God? Well, that's pretty easy to answer. Go and read what Jesus says. John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16. Jesus makes it very clear. The Holy Spirit is a person, is the third person of the Godhead. Uh, he, Jesus calls him he, him, his, uses right. the personal pronoun specifically so you know who he is. And when Jesus went back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit... Uh, is the one who comes into your heart, directs and guides and leads you and calls you to Jesus. If you reject him as a person, as a real being, well, then who's going to lead you to Jesus? Exactly. It's a disaster. That's kind of this anti-Trinitarian movement. We see it in Adventism, my church, my tribe. We also see it in other churches. It's a disaster. And if if you get a hold of someone who will tell you things like, oh, Jesus is not God, he's uh, he's less than God, um, that the Holy Spirit is not a person. I'm going to give you a little bit of advice here. You want to run as fast and as hard from that apostasy, from that heresy as you can, because it's a dead end road. Absolutely. And it'll end up with your death because you are denying the very God who saves you. Correct. Who is that? God the Father. God the Son. God Jesus the Son. Yep. And God the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. You know, uh, listeners. Before we even go, go there, yep. did you want to say something? I was just going to say to our listeners, uh, if you go back to last week's program, the entire Bible study was on the Holy Spirit. You know what? Um, that was the week before, not last week's. Oh, thanks. <laughs> last week's was on the secret rapture, mate. Hey, that's all right. You're getting old. I'm getting old. And, and things are deteriorating <laughs> up there. That's okay. You're like John Newton. You're saying, I'm going to stay in the pulpit as long as I can. I've struggled to walk and I, I struggle. I can still eat. Praise God. I can eat. Um, but, uh, let's get back to back that. To, um, back to that, yes. The, the Trinity, it, it, if you go back to Genesis chapter one, I think it's verse 26, God says, this is what God says, let us, just get that, hunty? Yep. Plural. Plurals. Yep. Hebrew plural, two or more, let us make man in our image. own image. In Genesis yep. chapter 1, you've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Nice. A triune God, but one God, represented by three beings, three personal, powerful beings, but one God. Okay, Hunty. All righty. Is that it? We've got uh, more. We've got more, but maybe we should no, move no, on. No, no, no. No, I'll keep, keep, keep it right. rolling, bro. Um, the SDA Church claims um, a prophet named Ellen G. White. Do you believe she has authority to set doctrine? I think that in Adventism, and I can tell you this right now, straight up, doctrine, and, and a lot of people misunderstand this because Adventism does claim that Ellen White had the gift of prophecy. And the best way for you to work that out for yourself is to get some of her books, read them, and then compare them to Scripture. To the Bible. Yep. That's fair, isn't it? Yep. But in Adventism, and I can say this categorically as a minister of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, no doctrine, no theology, no understanding of truth comes from Ellen White within the Adventist paradigm. It all comes from one place. And where's that, Andrew Hunt? The Bible. The Bible, Bible alone. Solid. The Bible yeah. alone. Yep. It doesn't matter whether it's Ellen White or any other claim to truth. An Adventist will always, Christian, will always default to the Bible first yep. when looking for what truth is. And the Bible holds preeminence above everything else. It doesn't mean that there's not truth out there in other places. I mean, there's truth in nature. Yep. But in the end, it is the Bible that defines what truth is. And that's what Adventists believe. And you know what? More than that, it's what Protestants believe. The Protestant Reformation was about that. 
The Bible and the Bible alone. Correct. Beautiful stuff. Yep. Okay, Hunty. All right, last question. I like that question. And can you do me a favour? I don't remember the story. Can you tell us a story and also explain why Noah curses Ham in Genesis chapter 9? Oh, okay. Noah, uh, they've got out of the ark and Noah is lying on his bed naked. And Ham comes in, instead of covering him up, he comes, goes out and tells Ham, his, that's one of Noah's sons, yeah. right? Yeah. Thanks for that. He goes out, yep, he goes out and tells Japheth and, uh, Ham, Shem. Shem, tells Shem, the two other brothers, that the father is naked. And then the, f- and he got drunk. Noah got drunk. I mean, if you want to see a, a Bible study about why not to get drunk, you've wow. got to hear. In fact, the Bible, literally, every time it talks about alcohol, the Bible's negative. Right. You remember the story now? And yes. so Ham and yep. uh, so Japheth and Shem come into Noah's tent. They walk him backwards and they cover him up. Well, when his father finds out Noah, he's furious and he calls a curse down on Ham. Right? Why didn't? What's the question? Uh, yeah. Why does Noah curse Ham? Well, there's a lot of different reasons. Theologians, different religions, denominations will give you. Islam will give you a different uh, reason than Christianity. We can only, in some sense, guess at what was going on here. Yep. I think, you can disagree with me, and this is not the law of the Medes and the Persians, because you can't prove it from the Bible. Right. I want to say the law of the Medes and the Persians. That means <laughs> yeah. that's not, it, this is not cast in stone. That's right. So I can look at this story from my own perspective and give the answer as I see it. I think it, it was just a disrespect. Right. Rather than covering his father up, it seems that he went out, he laughed, he kind of was fooling around and making fun of his father to his brothers, but his brothers were the opposite and they, they showed respect and they went and covered him. And so I think probably uh, it's just an issue of respect, but I, I could be argued uh, against with yeah. that and I'd certainly listen to the argument. All righty. Well now, Hunty, if, yes. if, is it too late? To no, I was just going to say that brings this segment to conclusion, but if you'd like to send us your questions and we'd love to have them, you can send them to us via an SMS or a text message on 488 Double eight zero eight five one. Did you get that right? Yeah, oh four double eight double eight zero eight five one. Or you can email them to us info at aussiepastor.com. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Another Christmas carol. The angels cried. Alan Jackson and Alan Krauss were having Christmas carols at least one a week now because Christmas is coming. Nice. came from far following a distant star to where he lay not being sure of what it meant but knowing it was heaven sent they made their way and the creatures gathered round and didn't make a sound and the angels cried The angels knew what was to come The reason God had sent His Son From up above It filled their hearts with joy to see And knowing of His destiny Came tears of 
Beautiful, beautiful song. Wayne Baum. Good afternoon, mate. Is it that time of year already, is it? <laughs> Getting there. It is It is at Faith FM with the Aussie pastor. We start Christmas early because we're looking for presents and holidays. <laughs> <laughs> I think it sounds, it sounds like it's going to be a bit more stress this year than in past years getting them posted to you, mate. So you might have to just um, wait a little bit longer for it this year. That's what they're saying. What is it they reckon that the... The post office is real slow. Although I've actually haven't experienced that. They're not doing too bad for me. Not that I have ordered any, any presents. Man, I better not say that. Lizzie might be listening to this. <laughs> You're going to be in trouble. Wives, both our wives listen regularly, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I was worried about you in that last lusting after seeing another woman segment because I thought, Lizzie's got to be listening. <laughs> There's no chance I'll be doing that, my friend. I've got a beautiful wife and I'm very glad. Maybe I was worried I about my wife. <laughs> very, very privileged to be married to Lizka. Hey, um, Wayne, welcome. Thank you, mate. Good to be here again with you this afternoon. Remind us, where do you work? Because we've had you on before, but we might have some new listeners. So just remind us, what do you do? Well, if you take a left at the roundabout just down the road from you, <laughs> and then first right, <laughs> we're over in uh, Warunga, So we're not too far from you. Uh, we're coming from over there in West Sydney, um, just in the, the um, northern suburbs at the end of the M1. And what do you do? Um, Who do you work for? Yeah, great question. I work for um, Adventist Media, looking after Hope Channel and also uh, the Hope Discovery Centre. So we've got a, a TV channel we're running out of here at our Warunga uh, studios, and that's going right across Australia, New Zealand. We've got Hope Channels around the world, but also, I guess, just from our territory, we go out into the Pacific countries as well, uh, everywhere from Papua New Guinea, Solomons, Vanuatu, Tonga, Fiji... Yeah, so, actually, you're partners with us, the Aussie pastor. We, we do, are. We do a fair bit together. Um, yeah. I want to talk to you not about Hope Channel today, but about the Discovery Centre. Tell us yeah. about the Discovery Centre and what they do. So Discovery Centre was founded back in 1937, so back around the time you were born, Lloyd. Actually, um, I was born a little uh, after that, but Hunty definitely was kicking around okay. around that time. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I a knew long you were, time ago. I knew you were going to say that before you even started. I knew <laughs> you were going to say it. It's got to be the old gag, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. It works, though. I yeah. use it on Hunty just about every week. Well, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get Wayne back when he replaces you next year, early next year while you're on oh, holidays. That, that's right. <laughs> you've, just, you've just dropped him in there and he's going to have to do it now. <laughs> so I, I am going on holidays in February and, and, and Wayne will be the new Aussie pastor. Uh, maybe sign of things to come. Uh, Anyway, let's yeah. get, <laughs> let's get so into this um, Discovery Centre. So what do they do? Yeah. So 1937 we were founded. Yep. And we became the, the centre that would respond to both radio and TV offers. So, you know, people would watch things on um, on TV and we've got programs on TV on a Sunday morning now, yep. 6.30. We've got yep. um, It Is Written. Yep. And so people see those, they phone in for the, the offer and then we follow up with that. We've also got um, uh, people that... Uh, want to know more information? We've got about uh, twenty different types of Bible courses okay. that people can register for. Yep, yep. Uh, ones that would cover um, health, prayer, forgiveness. Ones on archaeology, so people are wanting to know about um, you know historical things going back to ancient times. We've got courses on that. We've got uh, courses on Tri Jesus. I've got a new one coming out shortly. Um, based on a classic old book called Steps to Christ. Yep. So that'll be out in the next little while. Um, and then we've also got one that I know we're going to talk about later today um, on Revelation, Revelation, Hope, Meaning and Purpose. So that's a, it's a rework of an earlier one, but we've reshaped it to, um, I guess, meet the the times in which we're living being in a, in a COVID world. Okay, now look, before we get into Revelation, because I do want to ask you something about that, because it's a series that we are hoping and praying to use ourselves here at Aussie Pastor. Um, if somebody wanted to have a look at the courses you offer, perhaps even start one online, where do they go? You can go to hopechannel.com and then click on the Learn button Yep, and you'll get a, you know, a whole heap of um, different options there, um, including ones on the Reformation. Yeah, um, that. So that's one I didn't mention. So, you know, there's a whole number of, of different options so there. So hopechannel.com. You can for, choose. You can choose, yeah. Hey, um, if I was just, say, a member of the public, say one of our listeners here listening to this, and I say, oh, well, I might be interested in going to look and, and try one of them, is my privacy respected? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, am I going to have someone turn up to my door or someone follow me through, or is it fairly... Uh, uh, you know, fairly private sort of affair between the computer god and you. Yeah. Now, the, the, the caller or the um, person that might be doing it on the computer, it's it's a self-guided learning experience. So you get so, as much autonomy as you want. Yep, yep. And independence. If, if, if they've got questions, they can ask us questions, they can yep. connect to us at any time, um, and that's where, you know, we just follow their lead on, on you know, what they want to do, what they want to learn. I think that's important, isn't it, especially for Aussies. We like our independence and we don't like to be, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, tell us about um, the Revelation series. What is it? Who wrote it and developed it? And what is it primarily about? So this series, and I know you've been using it because we've had your viewers yeah. on YouTube and also, you know, um, callers and, and listeners to this program come through. It's a, a series that will go through step by step on the book of Revelation. So chapter by chapter, and I know this is what you're doing, you're taking it a chapter at a time, and you know the at the end you make an offer, 
If anyone wants to um, receive more information about this chapter, they text a certain number and we email this to them. So, you know, this, so this just goes through... Um, chapter by chapter. Now, the the interesting thing one about this one, Lloyd, is you know the the first few words of of Revelation pick up on that that um, what the the book of Revelation is all about. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's yeah, one so of the greatest books in all the Bible. I oh. mean, you're right. We're doing it. We're doing a series on it right now. It, every time we do it, Hunty, we get blessed. Yeah, we do. And we're only we, we're probably only doing fifteen minutes at a time, and so. Yep. Uh, and we're pushing people to this series that you've developed because we want people to dig deeper than and even what we're doing. Um, so why did you develop it? Well, I, I guess this goes to what I was just going to say then. It's, it's one thing to listen to somebody talk about Revelation. It's another thing to actually open the book of Revelation yourself and study it for yourself. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned before John 14, 15, and 16, one of the yeah. questions you came in, um, asking the Holy Spirit to lead you through this study so that you are growing in that knowledge of, of who Jesus is. So, you know, the, the first and foremost part of this, this book, it's, it tells us the story of who Jesus is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, some of the ones that we, it goes through the seven churches. Um, I think you've just covered the one on the, the four horsemen. Yeah, we've done the seals, and we've actually just finished filming the seals right through. Okay. To the, well, right through to the sixth seal in Revelation chapter yeah, six. Six point. We're yeah. about to go into Revelation seven. Yep. So it, it covers all this topic. It looks at um, Revelation thirteen. Looks at the the you know a huge thing. It's huge, actually huge. unbelievable, isn't it? When you get yeah. into Revelation and you get the opportunity to dig it, like this series gives you a chance. Is it video? Is it on paper? How does it work? The we've got both. Yep. Um, there is a, a video component to it, but we haven't got that on, up online yet. So that's coming. But that 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 aspect is coming. So this one is a we can send it to you in a in a PDF, and you can just have your Bible open and have this PDF open next to it, and just go through on this guided tour of each chapter of the Book of Revelation. And, and I think Lloyd, there's no better time to be doing that than oh, now yeah. because, you know, you look at what's happening in the world. Yeah. yeah. Revelation has got the answers to those those things that are happening on going oh, on in the world at the moment. It's big time, big time relevant. How long did it take you to put this series together? Uh, well, you asked Christian. This was a course that was made by um, John Pauline, one of our, our mates. We've had him on the Aussie yeah. Pastor before, yeah, and uh, Dr. Graham, Graham Bradford. Mm. And so, look, they've been the movers and shakers behind it. I reckon the um, series is the series they did. I reckon two thousand thirteen. Maybe even a little earlier. It'd be somewhere around there. So, yeah. you know, it probably took them 12 months to compile, yeah. but it, it came together from all their learnings, all their study that culminated in the, in the development of this series. So um, in conclusion, if you want to have a look at this series, can you look at it right now? And again, how do you do it? Just remind us. Can you look at it now? And ha- Is it up? And how do you do it? Yep. To get a look at it, you can text the, the number, Hunter, you may need to give that number again, text 302 to that number and we'll send you the the first one via email well Hunter, um, do you want to say actually, something to that yes i do we've got a new plan uh wayne <laughs> yep if, if they just text well, the word to the aussie pastor, if they just text the word revelation to our text number which is zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one or if they email the word revelation to info at aussiepastor.com we will forward that straight through to them 
Thanks, problem is, Wayne, on our end, we've got a bit of a bit of an electronic problem, so we've, <laughs> we've had to change that about ten minutes ago, I think. And it, and it changes whether we're on radio or TV. So for, for today's radio program, it's text us the word revelation. And look, that one just for our listeners that that comes to that email comes directly to three of us to you. Yeah. Um, Hunty and myself. Yep, yep. And so that'll come directly through to my inbox, and I'll attach the the first um, study guide and and shoot that to you. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Well, thanks for coming on. We're going right. to we're going to hear a lot more from you very shortly. Yep, it sounds like it. <laughs> thanks, Wayne. God bless you. See you, mate. Thanks, guys. Bye. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This song. His Eyes on the Sparrow, sung by a mate of yours. Yeah, Gavin Chatelier. And mine too. Top bloke. It is, and he's a good Awesome singer, singer yeah. Yeah, this is a great song. It is. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely And long for heaven and home When Jesus is my portion My constant friend is He For His eyes are the sparrow And I know He watches me His eyes on the sparrow And I know He watches me I sing because I'm happy
That's a beautiful song, Hunty. Absolutely. And I think that might have been his kids singing with him. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure of that. Uh, Dr. Tim Standish, are you there? I'm here. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's a real privilege uh, to have you, actually. I think you're on holidays, is that correct? I am, yes. I'm actually here visiting my mother. So and you're, and you're, you're Australian, but you live in the United States, is that correct? Yes, it's a, a very unnatural state of affairs. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome home. We're glad to have you here. Perhaps before we go any further, I'm going to get Hunty just to uh, read out. Yes, I've got the credentials of Dr. Timothy Standish. Because, because they're quite amazing, really, aren't they? Yep, Senior Scientist, Geoscience Research Institute, PhD, and in Environmental Biology and Public Policy. So you live in the United States. Just a short question, who do you work for? Well, I work for the Geoscience Research Institute, which is a, um, an, a research institute that's located on the campus of Loma Linda University, which is in Southern California. So we're not too far from Los Angeles. Tell us a little bit about um, who you are and a little bit about your research, because, uh, you know, to have those PhDs, you're going to have to be a re- – you are a researcher, am I correct? Yes, yes. Um, yeah. Uh, most of um, my research efforts obviously involve working with uh, graduate students um, actually in in the Department of Earth and Biological Sciences at the at the university so you're a professor and, uh, yes I well I I'm not a professor at the university well I'm an adjunct professor okay, yes. at, at the university yes yeah. but I work directly with the graduate students because my employer is the Geoscience Research Institute. So you're working with young men and women, I guess older ones too, that are doing postgraduate PhD work most of the time or is it Yes, masters? pretty much exclusively people uh, working on their PhDs in various areas. What sort of uh, work do people that you train go out and do? Well, you know, the, the, the PhD programs are there to prepare academics and so a fair number of them go into educational endeavors of one kind or another. Um, sometimes we have students who um, also work for uh, different government agencies, uh, for example, in conservation, those sorts of things. So those would be the big, big two okay. things. Okay. Do, do you have a lot of students? Yeah, a fair number, yeah. Yeah, Okay. So there's a lot of people, a lot of young people, I guess, mostly working in these areas that you lecture and work in yourself. Yes, uh-huh. it's 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 exciting all the time. Are there and, any? Uh, yeah, I can imagine. Actually, are there any recent scientific discoveries that you're finding interesting, or is, are things fairly flat out there? <laughs> you know, every every week there is something that um, leaves me astonished. Wow! Because um, as you probably know, science is not really about um, sort of thinking that, that we know everything. Yeah. It's, it's a process of discovery in which we constantly find out that 
what we thought was true wasn't, and almost inevitably what turns out to be a better understanding of whatever we're looking at uh, turns out to be much more interesting than we anticipated. So there are two two major areas that, that I'm interested in. One of them has to do with something uh, that used to be called junk DNA. Yep. It used to be thought that the DNA, for example, in human beings, most of it doesn't code directly for proteins. So therefore, it was considered to be garbage left over from the process of of evolution, yep. kind of kind of like a a, a a trash midden that an archaeologist might be able to dig through and find out something about yeah. the history of an organism. Yeah. And it turns out that that was a profoundly wrong view. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, there's a fascinating paper that came out that um, points out that the difference between human beings and chimpanzees, for example. Um, you've probably heard statistics like we're 99% yes. or 98% the same as chimpanzees. Uh, and yet, I think most people, when we look at ourselves and look at chimpanzees, can see some pretty profound differences yes. and some similarities, obviously. Yeah. So um, where does all that difference come from? It's, it's, it seems that most of the difference is not rooted in the um, exact proteins that we're built out of. You can think of those as being like components you might buy at Bunnings, and, and you can take those and you can build, you know, a public toilet or a hospital or a school or a house or many different things uh, using the same components. That's more or less... Um, a way that you can visualise what's going on with genes. So, can, can yeah. I say then, just, just so I can, because I want to simplify this so that us uh, dummies get this, and you're going to correct me one way or the other, so I'm taking a risk <laughs> here. Are you saying in that junk DNA, or what they used to call junk DNA, are found the differences which are quite big between human beings and chimpanzees? Is that what I'm... In, in a general sense, yes. It looks like... These uh, these uh, non-coding regions, this formally yes. thought of as junk DNA, turns out to kind of say how to put the parts together to make different kinds okay. of organisms. Okay. Yeah. So it's not junk DNA at all? It's not junk, and you certainly don't want to be going without it. Now, you said there was something else that uh, has just... Yeah, there's, there's a whole new... Um, area of study called epigenetics. And you can think of this as being, um, if you think of the DNA in your cells as being kind of like, you know, grandma's recipe book. Yep. And grandma, you know, that book was printed by some recipe book printing company. But grandma, she went through it and she put little notations in there in pencil. And um, she says, no, use you know, half as much sugar here or don't use white sugar, use brown sugar or, you know, just stuff yep, like that yep. to make those recipes specific to her. Well, it turns out that DNA has something like those little notations on it and they are passed down from our grandparents to our parents to us. Yes. But you can go in with an eraser and erase 
the um, uh, the the, wow. the what's there in pencil, and you can write in something else. Um, what does know, that don't, actually mean? Don't use mean? sugar at all. Use golden syrup. So, what, what does that <laughs> actually practically mean? What it means is that human beings and other organisms can very rapidly adapt to changes in their environment. That is certainly a, a, a true thing. And um, uh, so you see this, uh, you see effects from this, for example, famously in human beings, uh, people who have, uh, or populations that have gone through uh, extreme food shortages. What you see then in the uh, their offspring is a greater tendency to uh, obesity, among ah, other things, hunting. because their bodies uh-huh. then come out thinking, you know, their parents' genes are telling, or the, the annotations yeah. on there are telling them, oh, you're coming into a world where there's not enough food, so you'd better make the most of every bit that comes your way. <laughs> so there it is. I'm smiling at that Food one. insecurity <laughs> issues. What I'm taking comfort from is you're saying we can rub that out. Um, That's right. Yeah. And, and, that, and so you can actually, through behaviour, is that correct, rub that out, and that is not then passed on to your children? Am I sorry if I'm, I'm, I'm getting to, this wrong? To, I'm to some degree. Aaron, what it, what it means is our environment and the decisions that we make can impact our, our offspring in profound ways. So it's one of the reasons why if you're planning on having children, perhaps living a, um, a, a, a really harmful lifestyle yeah. might be a very bad idea. <laughs> it might be okay for you, but you may well be passing on something harmful to, to, to your children. I'm, I'm actually thinking of the Bible where it talks about some of these things being passed on to the second, third. Yes, visiting the, the iniquities. The seventh generation. There could be something in that. Well, the doctor. third and fourth generation. The third and fourth yeah. generation is, is, is what uh, you know, Moses recorded God saying. Hunty, I'm going to run this uh, interview a bit longer because there's some things I want to ask this nice. guy while we've got him. Nice. How long are you in Australia, by the way? I'm here for another week. Oh, Actually, let's, a week keep, let's keep going. Let's yeah. Keep going, Lloyd. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> okay, let's not take up the whole time. But, uh, that, that's Hunty rushing me on. No, I'm um, saying let's take the whole week. <laughs> is, is there? Uh, and these are some questions that come from my heart too. Uh, I know you're a Christian, but I yes. would like to ask you, as a scientist, because you are a scientist, mm-hmm. you're a trained scientist. You've got a PH, at mm-hmm. least one. How many PhDs? Well, one PhD and other. Um, you've done other. Of, well, it's it was a very interesting program, actually, in two areas. That's what attracted me to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's not just a matter of knowing the science, but what do we do with science, scientific information, um, in the public policy area? This this is obviously one of those things that's very important yeah. right now, and as people worry about COVID and how to handle the the science and all of these mm. appeals to science there are um it, it's it's been a a fabulous time in many ways for me to see how governments have uh, chosen to react to data scientific data yes uh-huh. have you had much to do with covid and anything that thankfully not um i've i've um watched the statistics in the medical center on the mm. campus that i work at um, with some interest in things but uh, no i have not caught COVID. i know people who have mm-hmm. and um, i can tell you that 
it's, you know, you, you get awful, an awful lot of opinions yeah. about this and any other amount of stuff that impinges on science, on social media, yeah. many other places, and you want to be extraordinarily careful about, you know, believing every foolish thing that you're sent you're saying your friends a, on Facebook. This is a dangerous virus that needs to be treated with respect. It is a very dangerous virus. The uh, um, uh, vaccines do work, like all vaccines. Yeah. They are not without risk. Nothing yeah. is zero risk. But it's uh, what, what people struggle with is evaluating risk. Yeah. Because they hear, oh, somebody got the vaccine and they got sick as a result of that. Therefore, I won't take it. Ignoring the now in the United States over 700,000 people who have died. I think you're correct. Um, as a result of this. So, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to deal with very threatening situations like this. And, um, and that's, um, probably something that psych, psychologists particularly are going to be studying for a long time. How people reacted to this, uh, threat. To I'm, their health and well-being. I'm amazed, to be honest, when I see, and, and some are my own relatives, so I, I even talk mm -hmm. about my own family who I love, but I'm amazed when I see people who failed maths and science at school <laughs> <laughs> making definitive, um, conclusive decisions from people who have no, there's no evidence that they're trained or anything on social media and they'll take it above the pharmacologists and the scientists that have spent entire lifetimes and generations studying these things. And I, I think one of the things we, that I'm noticing is that there is a failure in trust. Yes, there's been a loss of trust and particularly in um, those who speak publicly yeah. about these things. And unfortunately... Um, there are reasons for that. There are. And, and I want to be... Good reasons sometimes. Good, good, good reasons yeah. for it, yes. Um, obviously, I don't think, you know, conspiracy theories and stuff, they are, they're, they're, they're nonsense. Yeah. However, um, uh, when somebody speaks with authority, uh, you can appreciate this as a pastor. You know, if, if you stood up in a church and you preached heresy, you are going to lose the um, the trust of your congregation. Correct. And uh, for better or for worse, there have been a number of, of prominent public figures who have gotten up and made pronouncements in public about this specific threat and how to react to it mm. um, that later on they themselves have said were untrue yeah. And um, they did this to influence people's um, behavior for the greater good. Mm. But you cannot blame people no. <laughs> for seeing that and hearing that and reacting by not trusting them when they're actually telling the truth, too. Uh, yeah. you, can't, you can't get away with that as a public official, or at least you certainly shouldn't. Um, even people who can't do math can figure that out. It's true, so it's, and it's it's a difficult, difficult situation. Mm. Um, obviously, I'm a scientist, and I think that I, I'm I'm uh, saying I, I can't speak for all other scientists, obviously, but I can tell you that 
all other scientists who I know uh, since are sincerely trying to convey the most accurate understanding of the things that they are expert in to other people. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, you know, but it doesn't take very much to, um, to lose that trust. No, it doesn't. And certainly, certainly, um, it's it's a very bad thing when that happens, and I think we're seeing a fair amount of that in our society. I think we might be starting to see the breakdown somewhat of our civilization. You know, when you lose faith and trust in the medical, in the legislature, in the government, and even in the church, mm-hmm. you're looking at a civilization as was Rome, you know, 1,500 years ago, which is on the brink of collapse. Uh, and it's very serious for us, all of us, as we watch it. Uh, it's interesting. I, I was just... Um, uh, watching a documentary about Trajan yeah. and thinking exactly the same thing, the Emperor Trajan yeah, and the parallels mm. between his um, uh, stint as emperor and some of the things that, that we see in society and and in the church. That's correct. Uh, so uh, this is this is a great time for people to um, you know who want to actually understand what's going on in the world to study quite carefully for themselves. Yeah, it is. And I think the Holy Spirit, God himself, helps you to make Mm -hmm. rational, good decisions through all the smoke that's out there. Another question. um, Is there any tension between science and faith? That's probably a a silly question, but it's one I Well, not really a silly question. It's a a question that I get quite commonly because obviously... Um, as a Christian, I live a life of faith, and yet in I, I do science, and science is at least uh, supposed to be uh, data-driven and uh, driven by logic. So um, here, is, here is how I see the relationship between faith and science. They are not two separate things that are in opposition with each other. What uh, to, to do science, you must build off a metaphysical foundation. And I know that's a horribly big word, but it basically means you have faith in certain things yes. that that you can't see, you can't touch, you can't whatever. And so, so science one, is not devoid of faith. No, it is built on a foundation. Uh, so, for you know, when when we talk about science, we say, okay, you really probably need to start with data, and data are observations made through our senses, right? But why would we why would we believe our senses? Mm-hmm. Um, as a you know, Christianity lays a very clear foundation for doing that and it's not coincidental that while we we honor the great thinkers in the past the greeks particularly greek yeah. philosophers yep. uh, but also um you know, hindu thinkers uh, particularly um, mm-hmm. and and their contributions with things like zero and, and other sorts of stuff yes. there is a reason why science uh came into being, and and we started seeing these massive advances using this approach in Western, in Christian Western Europe. Yeah, um, that's that's a historical fact, and 
I believe that it, it ties in very clearly with the, the philosophical foundation, that metaphysical foundation that, that Christianity gives. And one of those things is, um, you know, you need to believe that what you're taking in through your eyes is actually an accurate representation of the world around yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, other other things like you know what? Why would we believe that the law of gravity was the same a thousand years ago or a thousand years from now? Yeah, yeah. Well, Christianity says that not only did God create everything, He also sustains all things, mm. and He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm. So, without that idea, why you know why would you do science? It's pointless. Um, the laws of nature could set, change tomorrow, and then all of that work will have uh, just been pointless. Okay, I want, I want to take this a little further. Can you, a simple question, can mm. you believe, and I'm, I'm going to open this up a little bit too, I hope this is okay. All right. And I'm asking you as a scientist, but also yes. as a Christian, mm. and, and looking for a straight answer, brother. Can right. you believe the Bible and be a scientist? Yes. There, 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 there's no ambiguity about that. I mean, come on. Most of those great scientists who we study in the past, I'm talking about the the, the true greats, Isaac Newton, yep. Robert Boyle, you know, yeah. these these guys who, um, you know, just laid the foundation. Gregor Mendel in my area because I'm interested in genetics. Yeah. They These guys were serious Bible believers and, um, and, and serious, very serious uh, Christians. So uh, clearly... There is not a conflict between those two things. However, where the, where the conflict comes in is when you, uh, when you see different interpretations of the same data because of different philosophical presuppositions. So what you're saying is a Christian scientist will see something and attribute it to God. Am I correct? But a non-Christian might see it and, and, and not attribute. Is that, is that what you mean by that? Or? Well, sort of, yes. You know, we, um, there, are, there are two sort of related philosophies, materialism and naturalism. And basically materialism says the only thing that exists is the material world. There is nothing else. And naturalism um, essentially says that uh, all things, all phenomena, every, everything that goes on, has a natural explanation. There is nothing supernatural. Yeah, okay. There is nothing outside the material world. So that's um, uh, if you adopt that view, there are you know a lot of stuff that you look at is going to be still interpreted in the same way. However, there are going to be some things that somebody who um, takes the biblical record of history seriously, uh, you know that that. That person, that Christian, that Bible believer, is going to interpret the same data in a different way. Is that okay? Let me just haul you up there. I want to ask you: Is that why two scientists, one Christian, non the other a non Christian? And, and excuse me if these are simple questions, but you, you, you've got a simple man on this end. Is that why two scientists can look at, say, the Grand Canyon, and one can see a flood, a worldwide flood, and the other sees? Uh, Erosion over millions, perhaps billions of years. Am I being, yes. am I being too simple oh, that's, there? That's, that's, it's that's the same very, data, but yeah. they come to yeah, different. Exactly, and and it's it's interesting because I've actually been to the Grand Canyon with both 
scientists who are Bible believers and scientists who are not. Yeah. And it's fascinating to see them. Um, it's, it's not just that they are looking at the same data. What they are actually seeing in front of them and focusing in on is very different. Uh, so the, the um, Christian Bible believer will be looking at things like, wow, look at how, how flat those layers are there. Um, and there's supposed to be millions of years between the one layer and the yeah. next layer. Yeah. Well, you know, flat, flat surfaces do not last for millions of years mm-hmm. um, on the surface of the earth. We all know that. There's erosions. Yeah. You know, sand, sand gets blown around into dunes. I mean, the earth's surface is not flat. It has a topography to it. Yeah, yeah. So how, how did we get these massive, massive flat layers there? That's what a Christian uh, Bible believer is looking at and saying, whoa, you know, I interpret that to mean those layers were put down very rapidly mm. so that there was no erosion between them. Yeah. On the other hand, <laughs> the, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the scientist who is not a Bible believer and is trying to come up with a purely natural explanation of things is looking down there into that Colorado River, way down there at the bottom and saying, well, that's a fair-sized river, but man, how on earth did all of this stuff get moved out? Well, we can measure the amount of silt in the river, um, and so from that we can we can estimate the rate of erosion, and and then we can just extrapolate back, and we can see this would take many millions of years. Yeah, and and so you you see those things going back and forth. The Bible believer says, "Okay, look at that." It wasn't then yeah. the Colorado River that made this. The Colorado River is is just a remnant that happens to yeah. find the yeah. lowest pass through this this ridge, basically, yeah. <laughs> where the Grand Canyon is. So you know, lots of stuff goes back and forth like that. And, your, and, your your paradigm, where you come from, matters. That's that's really yeah. It, it does Usually, impact. we refer to it as as, as your worldview. Yeah, it, you know, it, if you have a biblical worldview, you are simply going to. Uh, key in on on different uh, aspects of what you're looking at, and ask different questions, make different extrapolations, come up with different theories. So you, it, it, not in every, not in everything, okay, but in some areas, yeah. Are there are there things that a scientific explanation is more rational and makes more sense than perhaps a biblical one? Are there things out there that... Well, well remember that scientific explanations, um, that doesn't actually imply, um, you know, consistent with the Bible or inconsistent with the Bible. Everybody's coming at things. You, you can have a biblical worldview and be doing just as much science as somebody who's a raging atheist or, mm-hmm. you know, a Hindu or a, a um, Buddhist or yeah. animist, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's uh, so I personally don't like to put it into science versus the Bible. That's just not um, a useful way of looking at things. It's, it doesn't reflect reality. But there are some explanations that, in my opinion, yes, you know they they work a little bit better coming from that um, uh, secular. Uh, materialistic kind you, of view. Can you give me an example? Sure. Um, if you look at the fossil record and you look at vertebrates, 
So that's, you know, everything from us to fish. Yep. Um, and you look at the order in which those things appear. I would say that the, the sort of Darwinian evolution over long periods of time isn't a terrible explanation as long as you're, you're just looking at the fact that the lower you go down in the, in the fossil record, the less creatures that look like those we're familiar with today are present. Um, so, you know, that's one pattern. So what does that actually record. mean? Unpack that a little more for me. Well, what it means is if you go down, for example, to the Devonian layer, yep. there are a whole bunch of these massive armoured fish yep. that we don't have today. So we have lots and lots and lots and lots of different fish, but not those ones. On the other hand, back then, you don't see salmon and goldfish swimming around. <laughs> so what just, would you call that evolution or would you call that adaption? Well, and I even I, yeah. uh, let me say one more, and I'm coming from a completely biblical paradigm here. Uh-huh. Is it possible that at the flood you had a complete change of the animal structures of the, I, I look I, if you know what I mean did, did yeah. animal did animals change at the flood or did they change dramatically uh, at the fall of mankind or, or are we going into areas that yeah. we, we should the, 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 the simple answer that I would give is really based on the three most valuable words in the English language yep I don't know okay fair enough <laughs> yeah so um, there, there are lots and lots of theories out there. Okay? And I can tell you that I personally have looked at an awful lot of them. I'm sure that there's some wacky stuff out there I haven't heard yet. But um, I've looked at all of the materialistic theories about yep. how the fossil record, for example, formed. And they are, it's not just that they are a little bit wrong. They are obviously wrong. Yeah. Clearly, clearly, clearly the fossil record does not reflect Darwin's theory. Yeah, yeah. Because there are, there, I, I just picked out there with the vertebrates one special case that if you kind of squint your eyes just right, it works in a more, in a way that is more consistent with um, the Darwinian idea of slow, gradual evolution over time. However, there are plenty of other Patterns. So, for example, the sudden appearance of major groups, yeah. um, uh, birds, boom, they just suddenly appear all at once. Or do you, th- do you, think, that, do you plants, think that boom. that to that does that for you um, does that say oh instant creation? No, I think we just lost. Oh, well, you're yeah, back. Oh, no, you're I'm, back. I'm here. I'm sorry. So, somebody tried to call me. That's that's the thing. You know, everybody wants a piece. Of <laughs> Don't worry. Hunty's phone goes off every weekend. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, what what um, uh, what's really going on with this sort of thing is you need to look at all of the well-established patterns in the fossil record, and what you'll see is. Um, uh, Bible-believing scientists have proposed theories that are just as good as and just as explanatory as those theories that have been um, produced by materialistic scientists and things. Okay. Well, the problem is the problem is, or I should say, the great yeah. thing is, we don't know everything, and 
none of these theories is complete. That's very obvious. Can you can you ask so, a Christ, can you ask a Christian? And we're running out of time. I got. I, I want to ask <laughs> another question, but I, let me ask this. Sure. C- can we get you on next week, or is that not going to be possible? Um, that should be possible. Yeah, we yeah, can figure I'm, out. A I want to. I want to. It, it'll be that. similar time, Hunty. Yep. But but I'll get. Yep. If we can't, we can't. But. Um, for those of yeah. you who want to know, that's Hunty's phone going in the it's background. It's not my phone. <laughs> <laughs> can, can, I, can, can I, as a Christian scientist, take for this as a fact? And see, I don't know your answer, so I'm actually asking questions just so yeah. our, our listeners know. I don't know the answer to what you'll say here. Can I take for a fact, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created them in six literal 24-hour days? You can. However, um, you need to understand that you're taking that by faith. And the reason that I say that is science is very good at dealing with um, uh, trends, with laws, and those sorts of things. However, what you're talking about is a miracle. <laughs> That's why the Bible tells us about it. Um, Does science, you know, can science, is there any room in science for miracle and supernatural or modern science, no room at all? Um, I'm not talking about well, Christian it, it, scientists. I'm just talking yeah. science full stop. Is there room for the miracle, for the supernatural? I would say that generally speaking, science is not good with supernatural things. It's a method for studying nature. And um, so you can look at things and you can say, whoa, look at that. Jesus raised Lazarus from the yeah, dead. yeah. And you can say, well, um, there is there is not a credible scientific explanation for that. Mm. So therefore, that's a miracle, you know. And um, uh, you know, the, and again, it's very helpful to have the Bible to explain to, to to let you know. Okay, yeah, to confirm that that conjecture. We're, we're running um, out of time, unfortunately, and I'm going to yeah. have to... Look, I, it's painful because I actually want to keep going, huh? Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they are. I, you know, this is what I tell people. I happen to study the most interesting thing in the universe. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, even it, for... It, it seems unfair. I, I pity people who even, study other stuff. Even for amateurs like us, um, we, we I enjoy this. I hope our listeners are enjoying this as much as I am because we're, if this guy will come back, we're bringing him back uh, next absolutely. week. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I have often wondered um, how science comes to grips with the move from uh, inorganic to organic in the process of evolution. And when I've spoken to some of the the strongest atheist hunty, we, we had a debate, didn't we, with we did. the Atheist Society of yep. Sydney. They don't have good answers for that, and it almost forces you to consider, if you're a scientist, the miraculous side of life, you know, um, even in that process. But, look, we, we have run out of time. I want to ask more questions. <laughs> I wonder well, whether we can try, just let's try to do whether, this again. We can just keep going, and we, we don't worry about the guys following us. <laughs> look, it's, look, I've, I've loved having you here, and I really hope and pray you can come back next week because I want to ask you some questions. Like, the, I want to go further into the six day creation. I want to mm. look, look at the scientific support for a worldwide flood or not. I, I want to look at um, the. Co- the struggles Christian scientists have with data that differs from the biblical. I want, I want to look at some of these really hard questions. Um, and look, I just re- appreciate you coming on board and I hope we can see you next week. Yeah. Thank you. Dr. I'd be Jim. happy. To, I'd be happy to do that. I should warn you. 
Um, you know, sometimes I tell, I tell Americans this, I should warn you, I'm Australian, but despite that, I don't have all the answers. No, but we're still <laughs> going to have a good conversation, I think we'll find yeah. very, very interesting. Thank you for coming on, Dr. Standish. I look forward to seeing you next week. Cheers. Thank, Thank you, you very much. We'll see you. Alrighty, do I have time for our last song? Yeah, go for it. Here we go. It's um, from the Heritage Singers and it's called No More Night.
these discussions for better or worse i am primarily a man of faith yeah me too i do accept uh a six-day literal creation by faith i know it's difficult there is scientific evidence for it we're going to get into that next week i'm going to push real hard and go back in there yeah, nice I, I was really fascinated very fascinated hunty yep with what was going on there um and he's a christian he's a born again he's so smart. believer uh, he loves the Lord. Yep. Uh, he serves the Lord, but yet he's he's working in a very Doctor Standish is working in a in a very challenging um, environment. Now, Hunty, I want to do something different that we've never done before. Oh yeah. Some of our viewers have questions that they'd like to ask him. Yes. We're going to take them. Yes. But we're not going to take them live because we haven't got the. Hunting, time, <laughs> not the time. We've still got technically some issues there. How how would they get a question to us for Doctor Standish? Okay, next week. Um, if you want to get the free offer that uh, we had earlier, no, don't worry about the free. Wayne. Don't worry about the free offer. Well, it's the same number. It's the oh, same number. So what well, I'm saying that, is one at a time. Though, right. or else we'll confuse them. All right. Well, our text, our number, so you can get hold of us for your questions for Doctor Standish is zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one. Or you can email them to us at info at aussiepastor.com. I think we're going to leave it there. All right. So if you want to get a question through, yep, and we'll we'll put it to him. But I have some pretty good questions yet to ask. Yeah, me too. Hey, we're glad you're here. Let me say a prayer, Hunty, yes, and we'll please. close this program. Yes, please. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being with us today. Very challenging subject. Um, and we've just started on this adventure with uh, Dr. Standish. And I just pray that you'll keep us in the faith that will keep looking to you, and yet will stay open and inquisitive to this world that you've made and the wonders of it. Bless each person listening now, I pray, Jesus, in your name, amen. Amen. My name is Lloyd Grolleman. And my name's Hunty. And I'm the Aussie pastor. We love you. Who are you? Hunty. He's the producer-director. <laughs> he didn't like me saying that. We do love you, don't we, Hunty? It's why we, we do, do this program, but do you it. know yep. what? Jesus loves he you loves so, you much, so more. much more. See you next See time. See you next time. Thanks for joining the Aussie Pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, or ways to support us, go to findjesus.tv. 